This is Who Makes a Podcast. Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Scott Johnson. Scott has been podcasting for over 10 years, and he loves getting into deep conversations. He makes the podcast, What Was That Like? He lives in the Tampa Bay area of Florida in a little town called Safety Harbor. In this episode, we talk about finding guests with incredibly interesting stories and how to help them be comfortable enough to be truly vulnerable on a podcast. How Scott makes sure his guests have great sounding audio. They're not podcast hosts or radio broadcasters, they're just normal people, and Scott helps them get the most out of their audio situations. Scott has also grown his podcast to over 50,000 downloads in the first 30 days of a new episode, and he's on track to hit 5 million downloads by the end of this year. We talk about a few of the over 100 different things he's done to grow his podcast, and it's a little bit every single day. We also talk about how Scott monetizes his podcast. He does host-read ads that stay in the episode for a period of time and then fall off and are replaced by other dynamically inserted ads. It's a really interesting system, and it's working well for him. He also has a Patreon to support his podcast, and we talk about that and what kind of bonus content he provides to his patrons. This was a great conversation with a very successful podcast creator, and I'm happy to have met Scott, and I'm very happy to share this little bit of his podcasting knowledge with you. You can find links to everything we talk about in the full show notes at whomakesapodcast.com slash e22. And now here is my conversation with Scott Johnson. Scott, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thanks, Chris. I'm delighted to be here. I am very excited to speak with you, not least because I discovered your podcast recently and have been absolutely loving it. You have some fantastic stories on it that you go through. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about yourself and if if you're not from Florida, how you got to Florida? Yeah, I, I was born in Ohio. But, you know, I mean, this is the boring part of the conversation. Nobody wants to know about my childhood and, <laughs> and all that stuff. But, yeah, I grew up in Ohio and uh, lived in, I've lived in Florida for a long time now. Love it here. Don't miss the snow at all. No. Did you, so we're recording this a couple weeks after Ian, I believe it was, Hurricane Ian went through. Did you yes. get any of that at all? I know Tampa was supposed to be hit pretty hard, kind of got spared a little bit. We got a big spare. Yes, it was at one point it was projected to come right at us, but then it took a turn to the east and we got really lucky and the people south of us got really unlucky. Yeah. But yeah, we had a lot of rain and but nothing nothing at all. We lost power, but we I seeing what people are going through down in Fort Myers and Naples, I can't complain at all. No, I I can't even imagine having that happen. We had a tornado hit our street a year and a half ago, maybe, but it, I mean, it was barely an F1 and nothing happened to our house other than we lost power for two or three days, which was kind of unfortunate. My wife was breastfeeding at the time. So we had a deep freezer full of breast milk. I had to go run out and get a generator that morning, but Oh, wow. Other than that, we got pretty lucky. There were some houses down the street that had a tree 
through the roof, but you know, nothing like what that hurricane has done to some of those houses down in Florida. So I, I can't yeah. even imagine what they must be trying to deal with right now. It's really sad. Uh, they'll be rebuilding for a while. Yeah. So your, your podcast is called What Was That Like? And the premise of it, if I have this right, and I'm pretty sure I do because I've <laughs> listened to it, mm -hmm. you have people come on and tell their stories, super interesting stories. Why did you start this particular podcast? Well... You, you described it, the stories as super interesting. And I would say that's like the, that's like the baseline. Okay. It's gotta be, it's gotta be really super, super crazy interesting, like really weird stories, not necessarily weird, but stuff that you look at the title of the episode and you say, okay, I have to hear that story. I found out that when I started listening to podcasts, this was back in like 2011, maybe. Okay. I found that the the the, the podcasts and the, particularly the episodes that I like were where someone comes on and tells a story about something that happened, and, and even better if it was a true story. And I I looked around and I I couldn't find any podcast that was doing that, and at least not the way I would do it. And I, I had been doing I, I this podcast I've only been doing for about four and a half years. But I started a podcast. My first podcast was back in 2012, about 10 years ago. Is that the Computer Tutor? Yes. Yes. That's a, my, I have a computer business. And so when I started learning about podcasts, I thought, well, man, I should do a podcast for my business to, you know, to get more clients. So I did this weekly podcast, just uh, computer tips and tricks, mainly for non-techie people. Just making, just breaking everything down, making it very simple and um, and I did that for a long time, like 450 episodes, something like that. So I knew how to do a podcast. And when I started thinking, okay, well, I want to do this podcast about personal stories that are really unusual. Um, I said, you know, there's no other place doing it like I would do it. I'll just do it myself. So I started started doing it right then. That was in July of 2018 was the first episode. You have had some some, as you said, insane stories. I think one of the recent episodes that I I listened to, one of the most recent ones that came out was um, about somebody who won the showcase on The Price is Right three times over the last yeah. 20 or 30 years. I, I mean, that's that's incredible. How do you find these people that have these kinds of stories? Are At this point, are they coming to you and pitching stories? Well, when I first started... You know, I didn't have an audience. I, nobody knew about this show because it was brand new. Yeah. So when I first started, I said, okay, here's, I want to make a list of stories that I want to talk about, like somebody that was struck by lightning or maybe somebody that got hit by a train or, you know, and I made a list and I started looking for these stories. I just would Google search for news and then I'd try to contact the people. And so for a long time, that's how I found stories. And I'm still, even now... Uh, you know, I'm always looking at the news. I look at uh, Inside Edition. They go, they do those kinds of stories. So I'm always looking for unusual stories like that. But at this point, the audience has gotten big enough that almost all of my stories now come from listeners. And they pitch me stories. And unfortunately, I've had to reject most of them just because they're not unusual enough. Yeah. You know, I had early on, I had someone 
contact me, sent me an email saying, okay, hey, I, I heard about your show. I've got a great story. One time I was walking out the front door of my house and I fell right on the porch and hit my head. And I had to go to the emergency room. Yeah, that's the was, story. Was that the story? So, <laughs> so incredible. Not really a full podcast episode yeah. for that one. Not to minimize the fact that I'm sure it was traumatic for her when that happened, but it's just not something that is interesting enough, you know? Is that where you, you have a segment at the end of your podcast that listeners can call in and leave a, a short story, five minutes or something, telling a, a, sh a much shorter story. Is that where that came from, where people were pitching stories and they weren't quite enough for a main episode, but that people still wanted to be on? That, yes, that's kind of the way some of them came about. Uh, because even if, even if there's a story that's really super interesting and might qualify as far as the topic, sometimes they, it just doesn't take long enough to tell. You know, I want an episode to last like 45 minutes or maybe an hour. Right. And some of them just don't last that. You just can't stretch it out that long. So yeah, if somebody has a story that's interesting and it doesn't have to be quite as crazy as the, as my main episode stories, but just something interesting, something funny, something sad, really anything like that. That If you can tell it in five minutes, I'd say, yeah, record it on your phone, send it in to me and uh, we'll play it at the end of an episode. And people love those stories. That's, and then the reason I put it at the end of the episode is because that keeps them listening all the way through to the end. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> what is your vetting process look like? What are you doing if somebody comes to you and says, I have a really interesting story? How are you confirming that or, or are you confirming that? Yeah, I verify each one. And that's usually when somebody gives me a summary, like on my website, there's a place where you can click to submit your story. And I kind of explain what I'm looking for and, and that kind of thing. And my response in, for a lot of people is two things. First, is it, can this story take a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour to tell? Because it has to be at least a very bare minimum is 30 minutes, but I really want it to be 45 to 60 minutes. So I ask him, can it take that long to tell if you'd go into all the details? And the second one is, is there a way to verify what happened? Now, understand, I'm not, I'm not doubting what you're telling me, right? but you know, I promote each episode as a true story. So I have to do my due diligence and we can do that through like a police report or an online news article that was published at the time when it happened or 911 audio or a variety of things. I'm open to, I mean, I've had people send me FBI letters and, you know, stuff. And of course, I'm the only one that sees that stuff. So it's all, you know, held confidentially. But yeah, I have to I have to make sure that what we're talking about really is a true story because that's how I promote it. How do you go about getting 911 audio? I wasn't I didn't know that that was a thing you could do. Oh man. Yeah, there's a it's a different process for every jurisdiction throughout the the US. Is that like a, a freedom of access information request or something? I, I'm butchering the name of that. Yeah, but. that's what it's a freedom of information. Okay. And, but yet, even with that, you can't always get it. Uh, in some cases, like if it's been more than a year or two, they sometimes just don't keep it longer than that. It's just erased mm -hmm. to make room for more audio. And there's different states and different counties. And like I wanted to get one from Tennessee one time, and I contacted the place, and they said... Uh, the only people that can get 
audio from our state are people who live in the state. Oh, wow. So I had one of my friends who lives in Tennessee get the audio for me, and he sent it to me. And other places, uh, like here locally, here in the Tampa Bay area, if something happens locally, I can request the audio. But if the audio includes any kind of medical information, like if the caller says he's bleeding or anything like that, Mm -hmm. they won't release it because of HIPAA HIPAA, regulations. But yet in other places, I can put in an application or can apply for it at the jurisdiction's website and they will send me the audio by email like the same day. (laughs) So it's, you know, you just got to kind of go with the flow and see what, what kind of rules the, whatever this place goes by and, and try to get it. I'm imagining some state government intern sitting at a desk in a basement, just wishing that somebody would ask for some 911 audio that he could then search up and send out because he has nothing else to do. Well, could be. I don't think that's the case, but uh, (laughs) I'm sure it's not. But hey, it's Chris. Can I jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast? If you have, you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought. Don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show, I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. How are you handling the uh, the guest recording process? Because the the guests that you know they they call in and they leave a message at the end of the episode that that very much sounds like it's coming over a phone. But the people that you actually have on your episode sound pretty good. So is there a process that you're working with to get a good quality recording from your guests? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and quality audio is of utmost importance to me. And part of that is because I just like listening to podcasts that have good quality audio. That makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. And um, so, yeah, I, whenever we figure out that this is going to be a good thing and we're going to have a conversation, we're going to record their story for the podcast. I have a full information sheet that I send people saying, okay, there's nothing real complicated, but you need a computer although they actually could do it on an iPad or on their phone, and you need a headset and a microphone. Bluetooth doesn't work. Earbuds, not going to work. They don't sound, uh, the quality isn't good enough. Plus there's a lag when there's Bluetooth, you know, it's not completely connected. So, and, and, and a lot of people, the people I talk to don't normally get interviewed. They're not like public speakers usually. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll have to say, okay, here's, if you don't have a, a headset, like a gaming headset, usually works great. But if you don't have one, here's a link on Amazon. You can get one for like 20 or 30 bucks. And, you know, and a lot of times they'll say, okay, yeah, I just ordered it. It'll be here in a couple of days. I have had some where I actually ordered the headset and had it shipped to the guest. Okay. Because they didn't have it. And, uh, and it was the story, it was a story that was important enough to me that it was going to be a really good episode. And I don't mind spending that. And they get a free headset from it. Nice. So, but yeah, and for as far as recording, I use a service called Squadcast. 
It's at squadcast.fm. And it's kind of like Zoom in that you, the guest and myself, we can see each other, but I don't record any video. I only, it's only an audio podcast, so uh, we can see each other. But uh, the, the audio for the guest is recorded on the guest's computer. And my audio is recorded on my computer. And then at the end, I download those two separate tracks. And then I can edit them and put them together. Because it's a lot easier to edit when there's when each person's on their own track. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know how that works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I've had mm-hmm. some issues, not issues, but some interesting experiences where I've had some guests where there's been two guests and trying to get individual audio tracks when I have two guests has been somewhat of a challenge, but we, we've made it work mm-hmm. multiple to a uh, couple times. Yeah. I think Squadcast uses, or you're allowed to, you can have up to like four or maybe more than that, but at least four, but I never have more than, more than one uh, at a time anyway. So Two tracks is all I need. Awesome. You do a, a pretty incredible job leading people through their stories when you're interviewing them, getting the stories out of them. What kind of preparation are you doing before you actually go into these conversations? And are you are you having sessions with your guests before you actually go to record the interview for the podcast to kind of learn more about the details? That's a great question. And yes, it kind of depends on the guest and and the story, but if I've had a few people that have written books about what happened to them, and I always read the book because that gives me I, I always want to have as much information and as many details as possible because that way, you know, if there's something really a, a really interesting aspect that I want to talk about, I know I can ask the guest about that, and any any question that I ask. I almost always already know the answer to, but it just makes for good conversation because uh, I, I have, whenever I'm talking to a guest, I've got like a page or two of notes in front of me. And I always, I always have the conversation divided into three sections. The first one is the, what I just call the before. It's like the setup, you know, like, where did you live at the time? Who were you living with? What were you doing for work? And, you know, just kind of a setup so that people know what's, you know, what their status was in life at the time. Then the second section is the biggest one, and that's the actual thing that happened. And that's pretty much a minute by minute narrative of, you know, the person telling what happened. And then the third section is the after. Like, how long did it take you to recover? How long were you in the hospital, if that's something that happened? Uh, did you get therapy? Did you have PTSD? Uh, how are you doing today? Are you fully recovered? You know, stuff like that. Would you have done anything different? So that's, that's kind of the way that I have the conversation structured. And I know that because I have those notes all in front of me. And that's what really what I spend probably the most time on is researching and getting that ready. So I love when people send me a pitch for their story that right off the bat, they send me a full, long, detailed description of what happened. Because that's what tells me, first of all, it's going to be, whether or not it'll be a good topic, a good story for the podcast, but also it really helps me in putting my notes together so that we can kind of 
keep the conversation on track. And for a while, I was doing, well, after a while, I started doing what I call a sound check. So since, like I said, a lot of these people don't record, they don't speak publicly, they probably don't have professional recording equipment. So I wanted to make sure that the audio was going to be okay. And I tell people, you know, it might sound a little bit weird, but if you take your laptop into a walk-in closet and sit there and do the recording, it sounds like a like a studio yeah. because all the clothes, you know, absorb the sound. So some people actually do that. I get on camera with them the first time and I say, yep, there's clothes hanging in the background. They, <laughs> they listened to my uh, instructions. So, but, and, and that was, that's really the main purpose for that sound check. So I call it a sound check, but I found over time that that first sound check really serves another purpose because since these people aren't used to being recorded, they're kind of nervous usually. And they, in some cases, they've never actually told this whole story in detail to another person. And they're kind of, you know, nervous about what's, how's it going to work or am I going to do okay and all this stuff. So when we're doing the sound check, I'll ask them a few questions. Like maybe, maybe there's some, some things in the story that I'm not quite clear on and I just want to make sure, you know, that, that I have my details correct. And so we'll chat for a little while. And that means that a few days later, when we actually do the podcast conversation, they've already kind of been through it. You know, they know what to expect. They know what's gonna, what they're going to see on their computer screen. And they've seen me. They know that I'm not scary. I'm just going to, we're just going to have a conversation between two people. So it, it really helps them be a lot calmer and clear-headed yeah. when we actually do the recording in addition to making sure the audio is going to be good. So, yeah, I love doing those uh, pre-chats. How long does the uh, the process typically take from the time somebody contacts you until you're actually getting down to doing the interview? I mean, you're doing a lot of research, obviously. Um, how far out in advance are you scheduling these? Well, it kind of varies, but it may be anywhere from a few days to a couple of weeks, maybe. Okay. It kind of depends on my availability and their availability and when we can make it happen. So it just kind of varies, but not not too far in advance. Do you have like a bank of episodes stacked up ready to go? Because you release, I mean, you release consistently. So I, I would feel pressure to not have enough episodes kind of ready to go if, if you know, it's, it's only taken me a day or a couple of weeks to get one scheduled and recorded. Yeah, I release every other Friday and I found I, when I first started I wasn't really sure if that was going if I was going to stay with that or maybe go weekly or uh, whatever, but the every other Friday has been a really a perfect schedule for me. I mean, there have been there was I know there was one week where I was re- scheduled to release on a Friday and I was actually doing the interview on Tuesday. And that's way closer than I mean, I like having a lot more margin than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have full episodes ready to publish that far in advance, but I have interviews recorded. Like right now, I've got, uh, I think, three, three or four. So I know that's that's the hard part as far as getting that recorded and scheduling it. So I know if I have to work all night to get edited and, you know, create the opener and do the outro and you know, read the ads, 
that's all on me. I'm not depending on somebody else's schedule right. to get that all done. But yeah, I like to have I like to have a few ahead of time just to give that little bit of margin, little comfort level. Yeah, three to four every other week. That's a that's a pretty comfortable place to be. A couple months out. Mm-hmm. Have you had anybody come back and give you feedback after their episode airs? Have they let you know if they got contacted by listeners or if there's been any kind of, I don't want to say backlash because I'm sure they're not bad stories, but just, you know, and has anybody contacted you again after they were on? Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, for several guests, I've stayed in touch with them and I, you know, I have a Facebook group for the podcast and there's, I don't know, like 3000 people in that group. And a lot of the guests are also in that group. So when I do a new episode, I post in the group saying, hey, here's the new episode, and people can comment on it. And a lot of times they'll have questions for the guest, and the guest can answer in the Facebook group, you know, questions that nice. uh, that I didn't ask, you know, during the, the uh, conversation. But one of the surprising things that I've found is people who, like I mentioned, there were some people that have never told the story to another person verbally in all its detail. And I've had so many guests tell me afterward that it was therapeutic for them. Yeah. You know, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that. I'm just somebody who's curious and I listen. And so many people have said, man, I can't believe how much better I feel. One woman in particular who's, her story was that she, her boyfriend died in his sleep and she woke up to find him dead next to her. And she said, after we got all that out, I was, before we talked, I was so worried because as time goes by, you forget things. And I was so worried that I was going to forget some of the details of the story. But now it's all out there. It's recorded. I have it. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's a benefit I hadn't even thought about. I I never would have expected that aspect of it to happen, but it's very gratifying to find that people uh, get some benefit by telling their story. And there are other benefits too. Do you have an episode that you would say is one of the most impactful stories you've had on your podcast? And you can define impactful in any way that you want. Hmm. Yeah, there. Well, there are a few. There is. Uh, there was one, a lady named Amy, and she was in Oklahoma. And when this happened, she was working at a job in um, an office building, and she hated the job. And at the time, she weighed three hundred and fifty-five pounds, and she because she hated her job, she wasn't a very good employee. She worked in the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building, and that was the building that was blown up back, I forget what year it was, but it was like in the late 90s, I think. 90-something, right? And so she was at work when it happened. She was on the third floor. Someone came in and to her office and was asking her a question, and she doesn't remember if she answered that question or not because the building exploded. She fell three floors and was pinned or trapped under concrete and rubble, like 10 feet of, of concrete. And she was trapped there for 
like six hours before they were able to get her out. And while she was there, she decided on her own that if I, if I survive this, I'm going to change my life because I'm not happy. I haven't been happy the way I am and things are going to change. And she was able to get out. Well, at that time, she was an employee of a credit union. That's where she worked. And like I said, she didn't like it. And well, today she's the CEO of that credit union. Oh, wow. At the time, she weighed 355 pounds. And since then, she has lost that weight. And she has completed an Ironman triathlon. So to say she's turned her life around is is kind of an understatement. Yeah, that's incredible. And so now she's a she she's a still the CEO, but she also does public speaking. She'll travel and speak to groups and talk about you know, no matter where you're at in life, if you're not happy, you can turn it around. And so yeah, her story has had a, a big impact on a lot of people, not just my listeners, but you know she's help, she's helping a lot of people. You wouldn't happen to know what episode number that is, would you? That's episode 95. It, it's called Amy's Office Was Bombed. I will include a link to that in my show notes. Of course, now I've given out all the spoilers. So, <laughs> Well, I'm sure that the, the telling of the story will be just as exciting as the reveal at the end. It's really an amazing story. You know, I always go by the, the criteria that if the guest is crying when they tell the story, it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> and if the listeners, I mean, I've had so many episodes that the listeners um, shed some tears as well. There was one recently called Courtney's Mom Chose When to Die. It's about assisted death, assisted medical death. And man, that, that that's one of my favorite episodes just because of that. I'm sure that would have touched a lot of people who uh, who were listening. Yeah. You so you make uh are you still making the computer tutor podcast? No, I ended that uh, about a year ago. Okay. Just because and I but I I still do a a blog and um and an email newsletter uh for my computer business because I'm still doing that. I'm it's kind of like I have two full-time jobs right now. But uh but yeah, I ended the podcast just because of time constraints. And this podcast is getting much bigger, so I yeah. want to put more time into it. Have you done any other shows, or has it just been these two? I did one other podcast. I did 88 episodes. Oh, wow. For, that was in like the years 2014 to 2016, roughly. Uh, completely unrelated to computers, but kind of related to these stories. I'm involved in the ultra running community where, you know, people do what are called ultra marathons. It's any race longer than 26 miles, okay. longer than a marathon. And I've always been fascinated by human endurance. And so I did a podcast called Ultra Finishers where I would talk to regular everyday runners, you know, middle of the pack, back of the pack runners who had just completed their first ultra marathon like a 50K or a 100K or a 100 miler and um, just talk to them like, you know, how did you train? What was it like when you did it? What was, you know, what was your worst pain? How have you recovered since then? And, you know, just questions like that. So that's kind of where I learned some of the interviewing skills. 
And uh, so we did 88 episodes of that. That was every week. So that was quite a uh, time-consuming thing. And eventually I had to stop that one as well because of uh, the time requirements. Just couldn't keep up with it. And I, I assume that you run if you're involved in that community? I used to. I bike now. Okay. Um, I did my first ultra marathon in 2014 and uh, did a few, uh, you know, 50Ks, 50-milers. 50 and then finally in 2017, my big goal is I completed a 100-miler. And after that... Retired. I have to be... <laughs> I have to have some kind of a goal to, okay. s- to shoot for. Yeah. And I'm not going to do a 200-miler. So, you know, after I finished that one, I said, okay, it's, I think it's time to switch to biking. So now I bike every morning. I'm on, I'm on team cycling for sure. I'd, I'd rather be riding a bike than running personally. <laughs> <laughs> do you listen to many podcasts now? Do you have time for that? I do. My, my morning bike ride and, and whatever time I spend in the car, that's my podcast listening time. And uh, yeah, I, I love listening to podcasts. I listen to podcasts about podcasting. All right. There's one called The School of Podcasting, and the host is Dave Jackson, and he's the guy that actually helped me start my first podcast. So I've been listening to him. That's every Monday morning, and um, I do. I listen to some self improvement shows, uh, the Jordan Harbinger Show, Tim Ferriss, uh, and I like storytelling shows. There are a couple of podcasts that are kind of similar to mine that I love listening to. There's one called This Is Actually Happening. And there's another one called The Secret Room. And I've done, actually, I've, I've contacted both of those hosts, and we've done full episode swaps uh, because the content is similar enough that, you know, we, we each know that our audiences would like to hear about the other show. And it helps both of our shows grow. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard about most of those. I have not heard about The Secret Room, so I'm going to have to go check that out, I think. Yeah. I've heard you say at least once, maybe a couple times, that your show's getting larger. How big is your podcast right now? Well, by the end of the year, by the end of this year, I'll have a, I'll go over 5 million downloads. And the, the criteria that most, like if you're talking to an advertiser, what they want to know is how many downloads do you get for a new episode in the first 30 days? Yep. And I'm, I'm doing over 50,000 wow. on that. I've had one episode that's gotten close to 60, but it's, you know, it's it's gradually growing. I, I promote in a lot of different ways, and um, I just like to see the numbers. As long as, they're, as long as they keep going up, I'm happy. Was there anything that you did at some point over the last four, four and a half years that you think contributed to a, a rapid increase in listenership? Or has it just been slow and steady up and to the right? I would say mostly slow and steady. You know... I talk to a lot of podcasters and everybody wants to know what's that one big thing I can yeah, what do, can you know, I do get to... written, up, written up in the New York times or, <laughs> you know, that one big thing is just going to explode my show. How can I blow that's my really podcast the, up? That's just not the way it works. Uh, it's, it's getting a few listeners at a time, engaging with people. I'm actually going to write a book about this because I've documented everything I've done to promote my show. Oh, that's great. And right now I've got like 120 different things that I've done. But as far as the ones that where I noticed the biggest effect, uh, one was, as I one mentioned already, is promo trades, where I'll contact another podcaster and I'll do a host-read ad for their show on my show, and they do the same thing for my show on their podcast. And it's got to be a similar type audience, you know. To, so I've done a lot of those, and I've done podcast 
guesting where I'll go on somebody else's show, kind of like I'm doing right now. And I also do a lot on Facebook. And a lot of podcasters have said, you know, I tried Facebook, I posted, and you know, nobody looks at it. Doesn't it doesn't really help? But you got to do it the right way. And I've got I get for every single episode, I get new listeners from Facebook every time. What would what would be something that somebody is probably not doing correctly on Facebook that they should be doing differently? What's the right way? The biggest mistake that I see, and the most often, is they'll go in a group or even on their own Facebook profile, and they'll say, new episode, and then they link to whatever the the website page for that episode or whatever they link to. I don't know. But that would generate no interest at all. Nobody cares that there's a new episode. (laughs) They're just scrolling through Facebook. Okay, new episode. Well, that's what everybody else says. They don't know what the podcast is about. They don't know what that episode is about, and who cares? So that's why... Yeah, you know, you're not going to get much from that. But for me, when I post on Facebook, for every every episode I I put out every other Friday, I'm posting in probably close to a hundred different Facebook groups. Oh wow! And that's every single time. And what I post is first off, there's a there's an image with every one. I cre- I have graphics. I have a graphics guy that creates images related, you know, with the title of the show. And the website URL for that episode right in the image. And then what I post on Facebook is it's always the the same format. The first two sentences or two or three sentences is, what was that like? Or, Or it says, my podcast is called, what was that like? Each episode is a conversation with someone who's been through some extremely unusual situation. The guest comes on the show and tells what happened firsthand. That's the first section. It's always the same. So that way people know what the podcast in general is about. The second one is what that episode is about. Like Amy was at work one day and she didn't know what happened, but all of a sudden she was trapped under concrete. And here's her story. That's the second one. So that's what that episode is about. The third section is, it just says, find it on any podcast app, including Spotify or at the website address shown in the image because you don't want to include any website link in a Facebook post. Facebook will penalize you for that. Really? Because a link means somebody's leaving, they're leaving Facebook. They're going somewhere else. So I put the, I put the website address in the image. Okay. So it's not a link and Facebook's algorithm doesn't see that as a link. But if somebody wants to, they can type that address in their web browser and go to that episode, or they can just get out their phone, pull up their podcast player app, and search for what was that like. And are you doing this yourself, or do you have like a virtual assistant posting these on your behalf? A hundred's a lot of groups to go to. Yeah, it takes a little time. I have a VA doing that now. I did it on my own for a long time so that I could learn, you know, intimately how it works and what to expect. And But uh, yeah, I have someone else that, that does that for me now. And you said that you run ads on your podcast. I know you have a Patreon. Do you monetize your podcast in any other ways? Nope, that's it. Sponsored ads and uh, and my Patreon group. And Patreon supporters, of course, get extra bonus content that you can't get with unless you... It's five bucks a month, but they get that. And they get all the new podcast episodes without any ads. What kind of stuff are you putting in the Patreon as bonus? The Patreon content is a series of episodes that I call Raw Audio, 
And each episode is, they're going to hear 911 calls, the actual audio, as well as the stories that go with that audio. Like, I'll introduce something saying, hey, these two people, this was in Columbus, Ohio, and these two people were at home, and all of a sudden somebody broke in their house and was were holding them at gunpoint. They were hiding in a closet, and they called 911. And that's when I'll play the 911 audio. And then when that's done, I just kind of tell, you know, what happened afterward, how the, you know, who if they if they were shot or if they if the guys were arrested or whatever happened in that. So so I usually have three stories like that in each raw audio episode. Okay. And um, so that's uh, that's the incentive for people to sign up for my my Patreon. And those are not related necessarily to the main podcast episode that week. Completely unrelated. Okay. Actually, I do. I, I, it's not even on the same schedule. I do a, a new raw audio episode like every month, month and a half, something like that. Yeah. Okay. They're basically paying for a whole nother podcast then. Just a whole completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. Cool. I listened back to episode one because I was curious what it sounded like back then versus what it sounds like now. And obviously you've had, you know, a decade of podcasting experience. So it didn't sound all that different, honestly. It, it sounded like the same show. So like kudos to you for getting that format kind of nailed down right off the bat. Thank you. I got really lucky with episode one and the story that was in that one. Yeah, it was an incredible story. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when I talked to Jennifer, who was the guest on that one, about coming on and telling the story, she was completely trusting in me because I had no previous episodes for her to listen to. Yeah. She didn't know who I was other than what we had talked on the phone. And, but she came on and just told that story and what a heartbreaking story it was. And I got the 911 audio for that. That was another thing I was so lucky about. I contacted, just for people who don't know, the story, what happened is Jennifer was driving with her two young girls and she, it was nighttime. She pulled into the intersection and didn't see a motorcycle that was approaching from the left. And the motorcycle hit her car. And so she pulled over and the guy's laying in the street and he ended up dying. And at the time she pulled over, left her kids in the car, went over, was with him in the road. And she called 911 from there. And I knew I wanted to get that audio because Boy, the, the, the thing about 911 audio is it puts the listener right at the scene. Yeah, it doesn't get any more real than that. I mean, it's not a recreation. There's no script, you know. So this was in Texas. So I contacted the, uh, the sheriff's department that handled that. And I talked to a, a lady there and she said, well, I'm going to try to get it for you. But our policy is if the call has any personal information, like people's names or if they give their phone number or whatever, then we can't release that audio. And I said, okay, well, um, you know, just let me know. Well, if you, you know, like a week later, I get the, a CD in the mail. Because <laughs> she, and, and the funny thing is, I talked to her about this, and I actually sent her a thank you card later, because she listened to the audio to make sure it was that, that information was not on there. And there was personal information on that audio. But... She went through and redacted it. She, wow. you know, she bleeped it out on her own so that I could use that audio uh, rather than just saying, you know, sorry, can't can't help you. Yeah, uh, she did that. She took went the extra mile. So that was that was how I was able to get the uh, the nine one one call 
for that particular episode. That was actually there were three nine one one calls. Jennifer called, but then she um, there was somebody else that called as well. Um, so I got both of them. I had a question about episode one, and I'm going to ask you about it. But now I feel like I have to ask: Do you remember the details of that, like the guest's name and what happened, just because it was episode one, or could I just like throw out episode sixty-seven and you could tell me the the person and what it was about? I wouldn't know it based on most of them based on episode number, but if you told me the title of the episode, yeah. I could pretty much give you the the details. Although it's getting more and more difficult, I've got you know like 118 now. And so, yeah, some of them, when I, if I go back and listen to them a, a second time, I hear things that I, that I don't remember. Yeah. Even yeah. though I was in that conversation. Right. But, um, well, it's been four years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a photographic memory, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So my, my initial question about episode one, uh, tying back to the ads and Patreon conversation briefly, it, there were what sounded like dynamically inserted ads in that episode. How are you, mm -hmm. how is that being done? Is that you, through your hosting platform? Yes, it's through my hosting. And I didn't do any ads for the first three years. And that was deliberate because I wanted to, I wanted the audience to be big enough so that the ads would be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to bother my audience with an ad if I'm going to make a hundred bucks on it or something. So I wanted to wait until the audience got big enough. And so now... Every new episode has two or three ads, and those ads stay in the episode for 90 days. And after 90 days, those ads are replaced by dynamically inserted ads, as well as pre-roll and post-roll ads. They're all, that all happens after the 90-day point. And are the initial 90-day ads, those are, are those host-read, and then the dynamic ads are just somebody else is, is doing an ad for another company? Yes. Yeah, all the new ones are all host-read ads. I read those myself. Do you have any control over what kind of ads are put on your episodes? Do you know what's being advertised there? Uh, I can control based on category. Okay. You know, I, I have a list of checkboxes, and I can uncheck the ones like, like there's no ads for politics, or there's a, there's a few categories like gambling, you know... I mean, for the most part, it, you can hear just about anything. Yeah. Who are you hosting with that's that's doing that? I host with Audio Boom. Audio Boom. It's a new one for me. Yep. I was, I, was, I was with Libsyn for three years, and then when I started taking on sponsors, I switched to Audio Boom because they get sponsors for me. Awesome. And they, that means they give me free hosting as well. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you said, you've released a, a large number of episodes for your podcast, 118-ish, and obviously even more for the computer tutor, rest in peace. How, how, do you, uh, <laughs> how are you staying motivated to continue making new episodes? Is this, it, it, obviously you're running ads, you got the Patreon, this is making money for you now. Is it because it's a business and like you're just a professional that does this now? Or is it is it still fun? Is it... What's keeping you going? It's absolutely still fun. And yeah, it's nice. And I had from the beginning, I kind of knew that this was going to be a big show and I was going to monetize it eventually. But I mean, I, you know, I did it for three years without making any money. And you can't do something like that unless you are really pretty passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, man, 
I get to talk to people who have been through unbelievable things. And I mean, it's just part of it's just my natural curiosity. You know, if I'm if I'm out to eat or if I'm you know at a party or something and I happen to sit down next to somebody and they happen to mention that um, they got bitten by a rattlesnake one time. Well, I'm going to have all kinds of questions for that person because I want to know exactly, you know, what what really happened. I mean, what was what what's the name of the show? What was that like when that happened? <laughs> so I get to do that. I get to ask these people questions. That's I just love it because I I mean I love stories anyway. I think a lot of people just love a good story, and for me to be able to find these stories and bring them to a large number of people, not to mention the fact that I get to enjoy them myself. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great job. Do you have any thoughts or desires to expand to making more podcasts? Or are you pretty content with just the one? I'm okay with this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what's involved with this one, and. I mean, I know there are, there are people that do multiple podcasts, but I I would rather focus on this one and just make it be really good and put out quality content than to do, you know, two or three podcasts and have them not be released on a consistent schedule or not be exciting content. What about something like a uh, like a a story told over? eight or 10 episodes. And that's all the podcast was kind of like what NPR does with some of their serial or S town or any of those kinds of shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd be open to something like that. Honestly, as far as just, just a matter of time, I wouldn't have time to research and write and, and do all that, but I wouldn't mind collaborating with somebody that if somebody wanted me to, uh, to read, you know, to host a show like that. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. I mean, I look at look at Phoebe Judge, you know, she does Criminal, one of the top true crime podcasts, and yet she does an extra show. She has a show called This Is Love, and it's unrelated to any kind of true crime. She just talks about interesting stories. Of course, she has a team of people as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. one person. <laughs> yeah. Roman Mars has a team of people, and mm -hmm. yeah. I forgot all about Criminal. I used to listen to Criminal, and you said that name, and it sparked in my head and I could not for the life of me place who it was. So thank mm -hmm. you for, you know, giving the title of the podcast. Oh, the best voice in podcasting is Phoebe Judge. What advice would you give to somebody who might be thinking about starting an interview podcast specifically? Kind of along the, the veins maybe of making sure that they can get the most out of their guests. I would say the, the real fundamental requirement is that you have a genuine interest in your guest and, and what they're talking about. What makes a really good story, and you've, if you listen to any of my episodes, you know a lot of my guests, they get really vulnerable. It's like nobody else is in the room. It's just them telling me this really personal, sometimes tragic story. And I think you have to make people feel comfortable enough to do that. One of the things that I do at the beginning, and this is something that I heard Tim Ferriss say one time, is when we have our little, we're actually doing the podcast recording, but I, there's always a few things to go over just before we actually start talking, before we hit record. And in order for your guest to be vulnerable, it helps if I, as the host, show vulnerability. So 
what I will often do is say, look, we're going to, you know, we're recording. This is not live. If you need to take a break, get a drink of water, whatever, um, you know, all of that gets edited out. So it all, nobody hears that. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'll ask a question and I'll just completely screw it up. And so when that happens, you'll know it. I'll know it. I'll just say, okay, I'm going to back up. I'm going to ask that question again. And like I said, nobody ever hears any of that. So by that little example, I'm telling them, yeah, you know, I do this all the time and I mess up and it's okay. It's no big deal. So that kind of makes them a little more comfortable that they don't have to get every word correct or perfect. And they have, like I probably do, a lot of crutch words. Um, you know, a lot of people end every sentence or every phrase with right. And these people, a lot of them don't even realize they do it. But in the editing process, I mean, I edit minute by minute to get most of that out of there. You don't want to take all of it out so that it sounds unnatural, but I try to make them sound as good as I possibly can. I've had guests come back and say, man, I can't believe I sounded great on there. And and that means that they're more likely to share it with people too. Yeah. Because if they, if they sound awful, they don't want anybody to hear it. But, you know, if it turns out to be a really good conversation, then, you know, they're going to share it with everybody they know. I think we may have listened to the same Tim Ferriss episode. Yeah. I don't know what episode it is. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes if I can locate it. But Tim yeah. has got hundreds and hundreds there was, of episodes. There was an episode where he went through his whole recording process. Yeah. And that was, I love that. That was very, very informative. He did something similar on uh, Rolf Potts's Deviate podcast as well. I think the very first episode of Rolf Potts's podcast is Tim Ferriss and hmm, Rolf okay. is interviewing Tim about how to do a podcast. So there's another hour or two of Tim explaining how to make a podcast. But yeah, he's had a couple of those episodes that have been fantastic. Yeah. And Tim has had a pretty fair amount of success with his podcast. He has. He has. <laughs> what do you see for the future of your podcast? Do you like what you're doing now? Do you want to change it in any way? Are you considering changing the format at all? I'm not really considering changing the format, but I know that over time it will change. Has it changed since episode one? Yes. Uh, not, I mean, not drastically, but yeah. after about two and a half years, I did a listener survey and I asked people a lot of questions because I knew I was going to be talking to advertisers and advertisers like to know who my listeners are, mm -hmm. age, gender, you know, all that kind of stuff, demographic information. So I asked a lot of questions. And one of the questions I asked is, if you could change anything about the podcast, what would you change? And several people said the same thing. And if you listen to the first episode, you heard this. First, I don't know, a couple of years, for the opening, it was a pre-recorded opening. And I would just do an intro saying, you know, welcome to what was that like, where we talk to people and we get inside their head and find out what they were thinking and, you know, and, and ask them, what was that like? Here we go. And I said that every, and that was pre-recorded. So, you know, it was obviously the same thing every single time. Yeah. And when I did the listener survey, several people said, I would probably get rid of the, here we go. Cause I guess it just gets old after a while. And okay. I agreed. I had actually thought about changing it, but 
you know, I'm busy trying to find people and recording conversations and all that. So that was my incentive. So I recorded, I created a different intro recording where what I have actually are like six or eight clips from previous episodes. And so that's what plays now. I've added that. And now that's been going on for, I don't know, year and a half, maybe two years now. So it's probably time to come up with a new one of those. I'm starting to think about that. And in the beginning, I didn't have the listener stories segment at the end either. So we've added that since then. But beyond that, I don't really know. You know, I might have an idea next week and say, hey, let's let's do this. But right now, I don't have any plans to make any major changes. I think those are probably two good changes to have made. I like the uh, the intro to your podcast with the multiple listeners or, or, or guests, I guess, giving their, the clips. It it's, mm-hmm. there's a couple other podcasts that do that and it, it's energetic and it's, it sounds good. Yeah. Do you have any kind of pre podcasting routine that you go through, like things to get your voice warmed up or to get comfortable or anything like that? Hmm. I always, uh, I always make sure I got a bottle of water, like before we actually record a conversation. But I don't really do voice exercises or anything like that. I know some podcasters do, but uh, I've just never done that. Maybe I should. I, I have no uh, no advice to give. I kind of just make sure that I try to talk a lot for 15 minutes or so. Oh, okay. I, I work from home on the computer by myself, so I don't have to say a lot during the day normally. So when I record these at night... I'm the same way. I'm work, I work from home and usually here by myself. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just start talking. Yeah. And what kind of technical setup are you working with right now? I, I briefly saw on the video, nice looking microphone. I mean, your audio quality sounds great. What are you, what are you using to record with? And then uh, has that changed since you started this podcast or is it the same equipment that you've had the whole time? It has changed. Uh, I started out, my microphone for quite a while was uh, an Audio-Technica ATR2100. And that's the mic I used for the Computer Tutor podcast from the beginning and the Ultra Finishers podcast. And uh, and it's a great mic. I, I wouldn't have any problem with using it even now. But I just love the sound of my current mic is a Shure SM7B. And classic. Yeah. A lot of podcasters use it. It's the one Joe Rogan uses. And it just has, I love the sound, but it's, it's a, it's what's called gain hungry. Mm-hmm. It, it requires a preamp. So in line with the microphone cable is a preamp called a FET head. And there, that's one. There's another one called cloud lifter. That's very common. So I have the Shure SM7B mic in line preamp, the FET head, that goes into a Focusrite Scarlett Solo interface, and that's what I have my headphones plugged into as well, and then that plugs into a USB port on my computer. And then you are recording in, well, I guess you're recording on Squadcast, but you uh, Mm -hmm. edit in Hindenburg? Is that what you said? Yeah, I do all my editing in Hindenburg Journalist Pro. Okay, and that is a DAW that I have not had any experience with. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, the, the big popular one that's free is Audacity, and a lot of podcasters use that. Uh, I just love Hindenburg because it's, it's just really easy to use. It's not free, but 
uh, I got lucky and got a, I got it at a really low price. Do you do a lot of editing on your episodes? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I do surgical editing, um, minute by minute. It takes a lot of time, Yeah, but I think it's, it's really worth it because the episode's going to be up forever and it's worth putting the time into to make sure it sounds as good as possible. And that is something that you're still doing yourself. You're not outsourcing that. I do that myself. I, at this point, I really can't picture outsourcing that because I know I'm, I could outsource like for somebody to get rid of crutch words or, mm-hmm. you know, to fix the audio if there's a problem or whatever. But I have to edit for content myself because there might be a section where the guest and I talk over each other. And now I've got to decide who do I leave in? How do I kind of rearrange those words to make it sound normal without having two people talking at the same time? And I know what my vision is for the end product, and I'm not sure that I could be comfortable outsourcing that and having somebody else do that kind of editing. Yeah, it would be hard to outsource the artistic vision, the storytelling part of the process to somebody else. Because at that point, is it, Mm -hmm. I don't know, to me it feels like, would it even be your podcast then? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are storytelling podcasts that they, you know, they, they record and then they just send the file to an editor and that's great. But I just personally, I just don't feel like I could be comfortable doing that. I know that you have recently had all of your episodes transcribed, Mm -hmm. which is a, a big undertaking. Would you mind talking through why and how you had that done? Yeah. Um, I looked at a bunch of different options for doing that. I wanted to have it done because I want to make sure my content is available to as many people as possible. And there are some people who just prefer to read as opposed to listening. So if somebody can read the conversation and they want to do that, then that's fine. They should, they should have that opportunity. But probably more important than that is there are people who are hearing challenged or people who are completely deaf and they just don't have the option of listening to the audio and, you know, making each podcast episode available as a full transcription means that they can uh, take advantage of it as well. So I looked at a lot of options and there are a lot of AI options for transcription. You Mm -hmm. upload your audio, the computer listens to it and it spits back, you know, the words. The problem is for almost all of them, well, for all of them that I tested anyway, the accuracy rate isn't anywhere close to what I wanted. No, I, I tried that for a while when I started the podcast. I was using Otter AI to yep. transcribe yep. some episodes, and I wanted to have really accurate transcripts for each of my episodes, but it would, I mean, it would take not very long for them to do the transcription, but then I would be working for two or three hours just fixing the mistakes. And right. I, I, just couldn't take that time each episode to do that. Yep. And that's exactly the same thing I ran into. So finally I said, okay, the automated part isn't going to work. And so I found two people, one, one person did most of them, but I had two people working on it, different episodes. And this one person is also going to be doing, or already does all of my future episodes. When I, when I put an episode together before it goes live, I send him the audio and he transcribes it, but I actually have it done by humans because that's really the only way you can have it be completely uh, accurate. And it's not cheap, but to me, I think it's it's worth it. 
And those live up on your website. So there's a, a transcript under each episode page, say? Yes. There's a there's a transcript is part of the show notes. It's the after the after the beginning part of the show notes, you see the full transcript listed right there on the website for each episode. And there's also a link where you can download a PDF if you want to get that. And more recently, I've taken all of the transcripts from all the past episodes right up to the current one and put them in a single ebook, and I sell that for $10. So if one, somebody wants, rather than going to each individual web page and downloading and putting it together, I've already done that work. So for 10 bucks, they can they can get all of them. That's fantastic. Has, has anybody taken you up on that yet? Yeah, I, well, it only came out a couple of weeks ago. I finished that. and um, But yeah, I've had a few people purchase that. Cool. Uh, well, I'm getting kind of down to the end of my question, Scott. This has gone quickly and it's, it's been fantastic. Where do you see podcasts going in the future? I see podcasts becoming much more popular than they are now. For me, I haven't listened to commercial radio in the car for probably 10 years because I just can't imagine listening to that anymore when there's so much good content. I can't even, I can't keep up with the podcasts that I'm subscribed to. And when you turn on the car radio, it's either politics or sports, which I don't like to listen to either one of those. And, uh, or it's, uh, you know, 20 minutes of content and 10 minutes of commercials. Yeah. And you've got commercials with car dealers screaming at you and uh, I just, I hate all of it. Yeah. When I get in my car, the, uh, the Bluetooth cannot connect fast enough to my phone. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. But yet still, there's a lot of people that still listen to the radio just because some people, they don't, they don't yet know about podcasts. Maybe they've heard the word, but they don't know how it works and they don't understand that a subscription really doesn't mean you pay anything. It's all free. Of course, there's some that you pay for, but I think it's just a matter of more people becoming more aware of what's out there. I kind of enjoy coming across someone who has never listened to a podcast and they don't even know what's available because, as you know, no matter what they're interested in, if they have a hobby, if they have a favorite sports team, it doesn't matter. Anything they're interested in, there is a podcast about it and probably several. Someone is making a show. For sure. Yeah. And they, and they don't even know about it yet. So I, I love introducing people to, to podcasts because there's a whole world waiting for them there. They don't even know it yet. What would you say is one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started making your show? I would say in, in talking to these people, so many people that have told me very personal stories, I think it's it's even more, I'm, I'm a pretty empathetic person by nature, but now I think it's really important to be genuinely interested in other people and what they've been through. And that's kind of carried over into my real life too, not just the people I talk to on the podcast. I try to make a conscious effort to you know, to be kind, to be nice to people, to be interested when they're talking, to hear, to listen to them, to genuinely listen to them. And uh, I think it's something that would be good for everybody to learn. 
Yeah, I think that's a great lesson. I I struggle with that sometimes and I try to be aware of it when mm-hmm. somebody that I don't know is speaking to me and I, I just don't want to listen. <laughs> but I, I'm something that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. What is something that you maybe thought I would ask you, but I haven't? I thought that you would ask, Scott, what's the weirdest story you've ever heard on your podcast? Scott, what's the weirdest story you've ever heard on your podcast? Chris, thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) I went with impactful. Yeah, you, okay. That's good. That's good too. Switch it up. What is the weirdest story though? The weirdest story, this is a story that I still have some of my regular listeners have said, you know, I've listened to all your episodes except that one. I just can't listen to that one. And this story is, let me see, what episode number is it? I think it's 28. It is 28. Uh, this episode is titled, Shiny Ate His Own Foot. Oh, boy. This was a young man who, he had a group of friends, and they would sit around and talk and, you know, how conversations go. Sometimes the question would come up, if you could taste human flesh, and this is kind of appropriate because the, you know, the Dahmer series is on Netflix right now. I just finished watching that. Um, But this question would come up, (laughs) if you could taste human flesh and it was legal and ethical, maybe even healthy, would you do it? And, you know, most of them would say, sure, yeah, why not? Knowing, of course, that it would never happen. Well, not long after that, this man, Shiny is, of course, not his real name. He wanted to remain anonymous. But um, he had a, he was in a motorcycle accident. And he had to have his foot amputated. <laughs> and he was leaving the hospital. And before he left, he said, hey, um, can I have can my I foot? Can I have my foot? <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of an unusual request. They still had the foot in a refrigerator. And... They had him sign some paperwork, you know, disclaimers and liability releases and stuff like that. But they gave him his foot. And so he got back home and he started calling his friends saying, hey, you remember that conversation we had? Oh, my God. And they said, all right, let's do it. (laughs) He has some unusual friends. Bust out the Traeger, get the smoker going. So there there was a day that there were about... 10 of them that came over to his house for brunch. And one of his friends is an actual chef and they had what they call foot tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was probably the most unusual thing. And the interesting thing about that is toward the end of our conversation, he kind of turned it around on me and he said, well, what about you? Would you ever take the opportunity of tasting human flesh if it was legal? And I said, I thought I had an out because I said, well, I'm vegan, so I don't eat meat. (laughs) And so, yeah, it really wouldn't be an option for me. And he said, well, now hang on a second. People are vegan because the animal can't give consent. The animal has to be killed for you to eat meat. And in this case, full consent. 
I'm offering, I'm inviting you. And it's completely ethical. Most times when you hear about cannibalism, somebody gets murdered first. Sure. And um, that doesn't happen in this place, in this case. So, um, but I said, no, I still wouldn't do it. <laughs> his, his next suggestion was going to be that he had some flash frozen and it's just sitting on ice waiting for the <laughs> right, next person to ask. Waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah. No, they didn't make a full meal out of it. It was like, they had like, each had like a two inch square that yeah. they cut off, but. I have it downloaded and it's in my podcast queue. So. Okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> It's a fun one. It's not nearly, when you, when you hear the story, you think, oh, that is so gross. But it's really, it's not gross or gory or anything. He's a very well-spoken man, and um, he just has some unusual f- group of friends. It's very curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Scott, this has been absolutely fantastic. I have learned a ton. You have been an incredible guest. Yeah, very well-spoken, obviously. Your podcast is a blast to listen to, so everybody should go check that out. Where can people find you? Where do you want to send people? Well, if you go to any podcast app and just search for What Was That Like, you'll see it come up. Um, it's on Spotify, you know, all the major platforms. and uh, Or you can just go to the website, which is whatwasthatlike.com. All the episodes are there. You can listen to them right on the website if you want to. Or, as we mentioned, you can click to read the transcript. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. I had a great time. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. It was fun. That was my conversation with Scott Johnson, host of the podcast, What Was That Like?, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Scott at whatwasthatlike.com. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends. How about picking one person you know who you think would benefit from listening to this? Send them a text with a link to this episode. Do it right now. I'd really appreciate it. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, please let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.